Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense, common knowledge, or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do, but only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Before we begin, a note from our sponsor. I'm Richard Jacobs, Executive Director of the nonprofit Finding Genius Foundation and host of the Finding Genius Podcast. In late 2016, I was rear-ended at 65 miles an hour by a truck on the highway, which sent me off-road into a ditch. The impact of the collision gave me a concussion and other injuries. At the hospital, a CT scan showed that I had thyroid nodules, which turned out to be cancer. It was then, when I had a biopsy in my neck, that I realized, even if I was a millionaire, I wouldn't want a second or a third biopsy due to the pain and the invasiveness of it. And appointments at that time for thyroid experts were three to six months out. And I was worried about dying now, even if that was irrational. So because of this, I've decided to raise money to conduct a literature review on steroids, on the causes of anxiety and depression, a condition that affects well over 50 million people in the United States and hundreds of millions worldwide. Our goal is to create a codex, a guide that reveals all possible treatments for anxiety and depression for people that live with the condition or for loved ones that have it, as my wife and my son do. To find out more about our fundraiser, visit FindingGeniusFoundation.org and click on Current Initiatives. And now, to our guest. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have Elia Abijaldeh. He has an MD and a PhD. Uh, He's a psychiatrist, uh, also an assistant professor at University of Toronto. And we're going to talk about uh, mental health of uh, children and adolescents uh, currently. So, Elia, thank you for coming. Uh, Thank you for having me. If you would, tell me a bit about your background. How did you get into this field? What interested you in it? I mean, first of all, I've always been interested in medicine when I eventually studied, uh, which I eventually uh, studied. And then psychiatry in particular, I found it fascinating. And I've always been interested in asking fundamental questions about things. Uh, So questions related to things uh, that we take for granted, assumptions or ways of viewing things. And as a psychiatrist, I work in a number of different areas, but but a large part of my work is uh, is working with uh, adolescents who are in crisis. And I've been doing this work for a number of years now, and and it's it has been an interesting time to be working with this population of people. There are a number of things that have been going on that really caught my attention and got me thinking about what could be going on with uh, with the people i should by the way uh, richard as a, as a quick aside and maybe i should have said that at yeah. the outset i just i just want to make it clear that all the opinions i'm going to be expressing today are my own only and do not necessarily represent those of any of my employers uh, uh, especially that some of the the thoughts the opinions i have are are maybe run counter to common kind of the common way of viewing things no problem. I understand. Go ahead. Okay. So, so basically, I, I, as I mentioned, I started a number of years ago working with adolescents in, in crisis, and and a number of things got my attention. So, first of all, the volumes, uh, the numbers of people that we were seeing uh, of young people that were coming in in crisis 
just kept going up and up. And and that I found quite concerning, but also curious, like what was happening with these young people? What is it, what was going on that causing so many young people to be experiencing such difficulties, feeling like they're depressed or anxious to the point that that even that they're some of them have been self-harming or or having suicidal uh, thoughts. So, you know, you start looking for themes, trying to understand what's going on. And and I have to say here also that this is obviously colored by my own background. So I I grew up in a different time and place. And, you know, when we deal with kids, we're very much influenced by the way, but by our own experiences as kids. And, and uh, you know, I'm, I grew up from, I'm from a different generation than kids of today. I'm Generation X, grew, grew up in the 70s and 80s, and also grew, grew up uh, in a, what could be described as a more collectivist culture. Where there's tight social networks. And so, you know, looking at what's, what's happening, I started trying to understand what's going on with adolescents today. And this this, you know, this has been a journey for me since uh, since a few years now, where there are a number of things that I wonder about uh, that that uh, that could be contributors to to what we've been seeing. Well, what what are you seeing? You you said you're seeing anxiety and depression in in kids. What ages and what are some of the nuances of what you're seeing? More boys and girls, or different in boys or girls? Well, I see across the age range, but uh, I work primarily with adolescents. And the it seems to be it's it's both boys and girls, but it is something that uh, has been affecting in particular girls. This has been across the continent. Um, so I work in Toronto in a large city, a larger city in Canada. But this is something that is not unique to Toronto. It's it's across Canada and certainly uh, very much across the United States as well. And we have been seeing an increasing number of. Uh, adolescents, in particular girls, but but again, not just girls, who have been struggling to the point that they are seeking care in the hospital, needing to be admitted because of safety concerns. And uh, a lot of adolescents who are actually even attempting suicide and um, and ending up needing medical admissions, sometimes even in the ICU, because of serious attempts. So that is something that we have been observing since a number of years now. And it just you you are compelled to be thinking and wondering about what is going on how what is happening such that adolescents are are struggling like this what are some of the protocols that seem to help adolescents that are struggling what what's the recommendation or what do you engage in so so a number of things so so what, first of all we work with the adolescent to try to understand what's happening in their lives uh, there are some common themes uh so often it is uh, challenges uh, with uh, either at home with their families or with some of their friends, their peers, or academic challenges. These are the most common and recurring themes. And so we we work on them. We work on these things together with the adolescent and the family, try to open up channels of communication, addressing safety concerns, and helping them in very practical ways to navigate the challenges that they're experiencing and um, uh, problem solve around them, but also learning ways to kind of manage distress so that they don't get overwhelmed by uh, by distress uh, when they're encountering challenges. Right. So what are some of the strategies? Do you use CBT? Is it medication? What, what have you found are some of the effective treatment modalities? 
Well, I would say it is both much simpler, but also more complex than what you just mentioned. So, you know, we can talk about some manualized treatment like CBT, and that certainly has its role and can be helpful. Medications can sometimes be helpful, but most of the time we're not talking about either of these. Most of the time we're talking really about very practical stuff. Uh, you're really going down back down to basics, basically getting them to open up channels of communication with their families, uh, exploring what they're experiencing, and, and getting them to learn some distress tolerance strategies to kind of manage stress, but also normalizing stress to some degree. Like uh, the goal is not to be completely stress-free or not to experience any strong emotions can be useful, including strong negative emotions. So, and, you know, we don't want to be conflating having strong emotions like sadness or distress or conflating suffering with having mental illness. It's not necessarily the case. We don't want adolescents to be suspect of their emotions. So, so we talk about all of these things. And, and I think once an adolescent feels heard from professionals working with them, but also importantly from their families and the families feel that they're able to start having connections with adolescents, it can make a big difference. I'm not saying that all, all gets resolved and perfectly rosy after some basic, uh, these, but these are kind of, these are things that we start with and, um, and can turn things around to start moving things in the right direction. Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click Support Us today. Now, back to the show. Well, what's an example of this? How do you get a kid that's sullen and doesn't want to talk and is depressed to start talking to their family? How would you do that? Well, if, uh, if you know, first of all, we, we want to... You know, getting a kid to talk, first of all, they need to feel that they will be listened to if they talk, right? If they if they don't want to talk to their family and they're angry, you know, the first thing is you want to establish a connection with the young person. You want to understand what they're experiencing. You want to show them that you truly are interested in them and what they have to say. You see, communication, it's it's a two-way process. It's it's someone expressing themselves and communicating. But also, it's making the space for them to be able to express themselves and communicate. And, and so we do that with the person. We show them that we are very keen and, and wanting to learn about what they're experiencing. And then we get the families to do the same. Uh, and, you know, often families, they get caught in a rut, uh, caught up in a rut uh, that is, um, you know, life is stressful. It's, everyone's running around dealing with whatever they need to deal with. Adolescence is a time, is a period where the young people are fee- are seeking to be independent and and uh, be uh, do their own thing rather than just be relying on their family. And parents are often stressed these days, their jobs and, and whatever else is going on in their lives. 
So it's very easy to start to kind of start um, drifting apart and not having much of a positive relationship. And then the relationships become defined more by practicalities or arguments and conflict about things. And so the goal is to kind of counter that and to get uh, parents back to connect with their children and be part of their lives and, you know, rebuild relationships. So it's not like, so when you tell me an adolescent who doesn't want to talk to their family, it's not like we can tell them we can do some magic and right away they start talking. We, it's it's about build, rebuilding the relationship. And it's it's really small steps. So it's, again, teaching the parents to make the space, the time and space for, for their young kids uh, to be heard. And it starts with some very basic stuff, very practical, basic things. And then with the aim that gradually, as adolescents feel listened to, feel validated, importantly, that they're able to express themselves more to, to their uh, parents. So, you know, this is key because, you know, that's the other thing is, is often parents um, don't want to see their adolescents in distress, which is a normal, natural uh, reaction out of any caring parent. But often as a result of this, um, they inadvertently uh, can be dismissive, not intending to, but because they want their young person to get better and to not be dwelling in, in difficulty, they, they want them to kind of move on. Oh, you shouldn't feel this way. All is good. Uh, look what others are going through. Or let's fix this and we're, we'll be done with kind of thing. I'm characterizing here a little bit, but not by much. And what... Uh, what we want them is is to show their young people that they they are interested. They're, they want to they can tolerate seeing them in distress. They can take it, and that adolescents should not be hesitant to express that. And the parents will be fine. They'll be supportive. They'll listen to them. They'll show them their show. They're supportive, and then uh, taking with together with the adolescent, and of course how active the parent is will depend on you know what's appropriate for the adolescent in terms of their developmental stage. Be, you know, then the next step would be, uh, okay, resolving things together, finding solutions and such. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. Self-harm figure into this equation. Like, why does it happen in teenagers and adolescents? And, you know, how does it manifest? Well, I mean, this is, this is a very concerning uh, development. Uh, this is something, you know, while self-harm has, has always been around, it was never as much as it is today. Today, it is quite common among adolescents, very disturbingly so. And most of the time, I should say, I mean, there, there, there are various reasons why adolescents might engage in self-harm, but most of the time they do it as a way to, to uh, deal with distress. Uh, they get so overwhelmed with distress that they find that, that uh, self-harming and experiencing pain, the physical pain can help them deal with the emotional distress. And, you know, it is quite disturbing how come they're feeling so overwhelmed to the point that they, that they engage in these behaviors. And the other thing is, how does it even occur to them? You start wondering, like, where does it even occur to you, no matter how distressed you are, that you might cut or do other forms of self-harm to manage this distress? And the thing is, because it's so common, they hear about it all the time. It's part of the, their, the narrative, the, what they talk about. And then social media has been a big issue where these things are shared often on social media. There's uh, 
the and 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 to the point even sometimes they might uh, there are places where people show images and of share images of their cutting and such so it becomes unfortunately often in a very counterproductive way uh, promoted and such so so this is this is self-harm is unfortunately a, a big part of what we deal with today I mean, how dangerous is it if you have a child that's self-harming if they're like let's say cutting their arms does that mean it's going to very quickly progress to a bigger problem or you know and how do you intervene at that point so it might progress to a bigger problem and 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 i think it definitely does uh it is a concerning sign if that's happening and so basically it is not something that should be ignored it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to progress to something to suicidality but it may very well be uh it is associated with suicidality so it 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 it, it may be indicative of uh, of something very concerning that's going on so regardless it is it is definitely a sign and is it's it's not a healthy way of coping and it's a sign that the young person is struggling quite significantly with their emotions to the point that they feel like they have to engage in this so so the intervention is to open open up a channel of communication so if you're the parent to start to understand so first of all you don't want to freak out you do want to take it very seriously and we do want to show adolescents that we're taking it seriously but we don't want to we don't want to be blaming we don't want to be uh, getting upset with them um, we want to be trying to understand them trying it that shows okay what's going on in our lives today that's not working great what can we do to make things better and and then having a chat with the adolescent to to understand what's happening in their in their world and their lives often uh, parents are not aware of what's happening so and and so to helping uh, to to be you know parents have been through adolescence challenging as it is and often can use their experiences to to the benefit of of young people and so it is important that they be able to connect with them you to establish some trust to start exploring these things and then teaching adolescents this is often it does it might require some professional help of some sort but basically uh, teaching adolescents different ways of managing uh, distress so that when you're in distress what are ways that you can deal with that that don't involve self harm and often this involves some very non-judgmental exploration with the young person so they know that self harm is is not healthy uh, so we don't need to lecture to them about this so rather i like exploring it with them so what of self harm what does that bring you with a cutting let's say okay it relieves uh, it relieves uh, when you're uh, distressed when you're uh, overwhelmed with emotions okay uh, so that's why you do it understand i understood uh, are there any Uh, downsides to it and and get the and let's explore it in an op- very open way and then and then typically most adolescents will come up with all sorts of downsides to it and then say okay so i i know that you experience a lot of uh, you get very overwhelmed with uh, with difficult feelings and the self harm is a way to try to manage that how can you what are what are shall we explore different ways what if we there are different ways to help you to manage the stress without having to resort uh, to that and that's basically how you uh, you work with them. Well, very good. What kind of practitioners would help other ones that specifically address self-harm and what are they called for parents that are looking for this help? So really I would say any mental health practitioner, any uh, ther- uh, therapist or mental health clinician. So so there could be 
psychiatrists, uh, but also psychologists and also social workers, uh, mental health nurses, but also there are people who do become therapy and, and taking through different routes and the, who, who become therapists. And so anyone who engages in therapy, it does not have to, I would I say, specific training and designation is not what matters. And what matters really is the connection with the young person. Is this someone that the young person feels comfortable with? They feel like they have a good connection with? Uh, they feel they trust? They're able, they're able to talk openly about things, uh, feel vulnerable in front of them. That's, that's what matters most. Okay. Ilya, what's the best way for people to find out more about your work? Where can they go? Well, you know, my work is, is actually quite uh, broad and, and it doesn't, it's not really just specific to this area. I mean, if people Google me at the University, University of Toronto, a Department of Psychiatry website, they'll, they'll, there's, a, there's a, some more information about the kind of work that I do, but it, it's really not just uh, specific to this area. Okay, well, very good. Well, Elliot, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Not at all. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.